0: anyone who's heard this phrase, asking for a friend, kind of knows what we're meaning here. It's one of those questions that you sort of want to ask, but no one actually asks. And so if they do ask, they say, well, I'm just asking for a friend because we're going to look at some questions that, you know, often we try to avoid rather than addressing. And so tonight we're going to look at the question, do all paths lead to God? So simple question ahead of us here. Okay. But, uh, There are so many ways that we could take this teaching, I won't lie about it. It's a bit overwhelming actually to try to fit this into a 30 minute talk. And so I simply hope to answer the question, to remind Christians um, what the implications are for us going forward, and really just how do we live in light of the answer to this question. And so let's start by addressing the question, do all paths lead to God? I'm going to teach it a little differently today. You might not hear a scripture for a while. Stick with me. We're going to get there. Okay. But uh, let's start by saying that. How many of you have ever heard people say things like, well, all religions lead to God in the end. Anyone ever heard that before? Or it doesn't matter which path you take. As long as you take a path, we're all going to end up in the same place in the end. How many of you have heard this before? You see, in our culture, I think we say things like that because they're nice things to say in order to avoid conflict. And so rather than creating a bunch of awkwardness and a bunch of tension, we say things like this as a way of trying to make peace. The trouble with it, though, is that it's not only a lazy way of trying to make peace— but it's not necessarily grounded in any truth. You see, some people say that all religions are basically expressing the same idea about God and the universe and about how we treat each other. And this is a concept known today as pluralism. Everyone say pluralism. Pluralism. There you go. Pluralism is the idea that everything just leads to one source. Now, I'm not teaching this. Stick with me, okay? I don't want anybody misquoting me after this, all right? But pluralism is accepted by many here in the West. And so for many, we just accept this idea that all religion, all paths lead to God. And this is a way for us to keep peace, as I mentioned. And so many don't fight with this idea of pluralism. But what is scandalous and offensive is the idea that Jesus might be the only way to God. That's what might get you into trouble with people by making claims like that. You see, pluralism is a way to bypass any conflict in our culture. And this is best illustrated by an old parable known as the Tale of the Blind Men and the Elephant. How I many of you heard this one before? Anyone? You see, the Tale of the Blind Men and the Elephant talks about five blind men, and they each touch a different part of the elephant and talk about their experience. You see, the one man feels the trunk and he concludes, well, this is a snake. It has that same texture. It has that same feeling. One touches the ear and decides, well, this is a leaf. That's what this feels like. Another finds a leg and concludes that this is actually a tree. That's what this feels like. Another one finds the elephant's side and he says, no, 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 no. You got it all wrong. This is a wall that I'm touching. And then the final man, you know, gets the short end of the stick here and uh, finds the tail and he says, actually, this is a rope. And the point of the parable is that by by all of our individual experiences, we can arrive at truth together. And so the point of the parable in regards to world religions, which we're talking about this evening, is that ultimate truth isn't just found in one religion, but rather we can combine insight and arrive at truth together. If we share our wisdom, we would realize that all paths lead to God. That's the mindset of many people in the culture that we live in. But does it really work that way? Does it actually work that way? Now let me just clarify something first. You see, people of different faiths can actually get along fine without agreeing on everything. I believe this, I've experienced this. We can have friendships with people of different faiths, with Muslims and Buddhists and those of different faith expressions. We can have friendships with people of different faiths. In fact, in the West, our friendship isn't under threat necessarily because we might have differences of opinion. In fact, when we talk about faith, it's actually a lot of the times easier talking with people who have a non-Western background because it's interesting in how they'll actually engage the topic with great interest. As we're here in the West, that sometimes gets seen as kind of a taboo topic. How many you've ever heard, just leave your faith at the door. Don't bring it here. Just leave it at the door. And so there's no doubt that people of different faiths can actually get along, even if they see things Differently. Unfortunately, that hasn't always happened, but in many cases it does. And so the problem with pluralism is that it tries to force agreement where there can't be any. Pluralism tries to force mutual agreement where there is none, and in doing so, pluralism actually kind of insults everybody, except for the pluralists, of course. You see, pluralism does this by failing to understand the unique claims of each religion the major world religions claim to have the answers to salvation and to glory and into enlightenment and they have a set of values or maxims that their followers are supposed to follow and some will say well all paths lead to God or it doesn't matter what you believe in as long as you believe in something and we've all heard that before but think about it this way Generally speaking, there are five classes of world religions. You've got Judaism, Christianity, Hinduism, Buddhism, and Islam. For the sake of our discussion today, I've left out the secular, agnostic, atheist train of thought, but we should not forget that there are a huge number of people who fall into that category as well. And so first, we need to understand what are some of the fundamental beliefs of these world religions? Questions that answer who God is, what salvation requires, what's their teaching on the afterlife? The three monotheistic world religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, all believe in one God. But when we break down how they see God, there's a big Difference. Their teaching on salvation, their teaching on the afterlife, their teaching on how we live this thing out are all very different. You see, religions are not the same. And I know that that's not a politically correct thing to say in our culture, which likes to say that they are all the same. You know, for some, it would be nice to say that religions are the same because it would cut the tension and conflict, but they're not. And to many, that's actually an insult to suggest. That they are. If you were to talk to a Muslim believer and say that their religion is the same as Buddhism, they would take that as an insult because the two religions are vastly different in how they're lived out and in what they believe. If you talk to a Buddhist and tell them that Buddhism is the same as Islam, they would immediately think and know that you have no idea about either religion. That's like saying potatoes and ice cream are the same thing. You know, clearly you have not tried either, if that's what you think. You can't have Jesus claiming to be the son of God and other religions suggesting that he was just a prophet. Those are very different claims to be made. Are you tracking with me? And so each religion has its own path. For Buddhism, enlightenment became possible because Buddha discovered this thing called the Eightfold Path. Muslims have the five pillars of Islam, which are the true paths of submission towards Allah. For Hinduism, it's the way of release and how people can have union with the ultimate life force. For the Jewish faith, it is following the Torah and the books of the law And these beliefs are not only from different people, but these beliefs are actually contradictory in nature. And for Christianity, we follow Jesus. And so when it comes to understanding the fundamental teachings of the world faiths, either they are all wrong or one of them is right. That's where we're left. Because they can't all be leading to the same God. They don't claim to be doing that on their own. None of them would claim to be doing that. But according to pluralism, that just isn't true. According to pluralism, Buddha's Eightfold Path, Muhammad's Five Pillars, Hindu's Way of Release, Judaism's Law, and Jesus's Death and Resurrection weren't really needed because hope could be found elsewhere, and everything just leads to the same God. That's the thinking. Back to the parable of the blind men and the elephant you see there are only five people in that story right but there's actually a sixth person the narrator and he or she has all the facts And only the narrator sees everything objectively. So pluralism sort of congratulates itself because it says, hey, look, you know, we're, we're tolerant. We're not offending people. We're not causing things to be awkward. But actually, in some ways, it actually makes the most arrogant claim of all. It paints itself as the only objective true view that all other religions fail to be. But in actuality, it's wrong. It can't work that way. You see, the blind man and elephant is a nice story that can apply to many areas of our life. Pretty good. But if we start applying that to world religions, then we create a bigger mess than what we started with. And so pluralism becomes just another ideology. And a bad one at that. Because the major religions are far too different in scope and in teachings and values for them to all lead to the same place. They do not claim to do this. And so where does this leave us? Well, I think I can confidently say this today. Not all religions are the same. And there have been all sorts of intense religions created over the years. And some of these religions lead to negative effects, okay? There's been some crazy stuff created throughout the years. For example, the religions that took the virgins and threw them into the volcano to appease the volcano god. I'm just going to go on a limb here, but I'm thinking that's on the negative side of religions today, okay? That's not the same as a religion that's trying to teach you how to meditate or. Or, or connect yourself to a higher consciousness. Religions are not the same except maybe in this. Every religion gives you a path to achieve your ultimate end. Every religion presents a path to achieve your ultimate end. And so if you're trying to achieve enlightenment, Buddhism has a path towards enlightenment. If you're trying to ple- to to, to please Allah, then Islam gives you the path to hopefully find that favor with Allah. If you're trying to find favor with God, then Catholicism can give you a path in order to find favor with God. You see, religions are created by humans. And at worst, religions are used to control humanity with guilt and with shame, which often sounds like this. Unless you do what I tell you to do, you'll never find forgiveness. You'll never find acceptance from God. And with religion, you can really, really manipulate people. You see, in the end, religions give us what we must do to get God's attention and to get God to notice us. And here's what I think has some truth to it. And a teacher I once heard, an admirer, I once heard him say this. He said, really, no one is searching for God. What people are usually searching for Is life. What people are usually searching for is life. They know their life is missing something. They know they're just existing and that something is wrong, broken, that there's this hole inside of their soul and they're trying to find the life that's eluding them and maybe along the way they concluded that life is found in God. And what's even worse is when that life seems to be hindered by God and you've received the teaching that God's very far away from you, and usually it's because of who you are and what you did and all the things that you've done, and God needs you to put on your best face and just earn your way back to Him. The idea that God is like sitting at the top of this highest mountain and seeing who's worthy of being in His presence is the way some people live every day. And so you just spend your entire life climbing and working and striving and climbing and climbing and trying to get to that top of that mountain, so that you can get God, so that you can get life. You might get life. And so we have this construct throughout history that many religions tell us that God is elusive and that we have to earn our way to God. And many people live each day, each week, trying to appease such a God. And yet this is where Jesus leaves religion behind. Because if every religion gives us a construct to enlightenment, to nirvana, to heaven, to God, to salvation, whatever it is, Jesus seems to flip it all upside down. Because Jesus didn't come to tell us what we need to do to get to God, but Jesus came to show us what God would do to get to us. Are you with me? Jesus came to show us the lengths that God would go to come to us. God wasn't waiting for us to get it right, but in Jesus, God was coming to us, and his mission was one of rescue. We call it Easter. We celebrated it last weekend. God is the name that we use when we talk about us searching for him, but Jesus is the name we use when we talk about God coming down to this earth searching for us, you and me. Are you with me? John 3, 16 says it like this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You see, the scriptures are clear that God didn't expect us simply to find him, but he loved us so much that he stooped down to our level in an act of love so that he could find us. And Jesus was clear in his claims that he wasn't simply a path or one of many options or that he was one of many ways to God, but we read the words of scripture in John 14:6 where Jesus says, "I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." There's not much we have to interpret in that statement. You see, Jesus didn't come as a way or as a truth or as a piece of life that you could find. But he says he was the way. He says he was the truth. He says he was the life. In Acts 4.12, we read this, that salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. In 1 Timothy, we read this, for there's one God and one mediator between God and mankind. The man, Christ Jesus And so, some of us might be thinking when you read stuff like this, well, that seems so exclusive. Why would Jesus cut out all the other options? You see, the thing that we need to remember about Jesus is that he didn't set up a religion. That's what we humans do. But Jesus isn't the story of us finding our way to God, but rather Jesus is the truth of God coming down to find us. And what Jesus is actually saying is that no one else is coming for you. No one else is coming for you. Why would you spend your entire life trying to earn the approval and love of a God who's indifferent to you? Any God that isn't coming for you isn't worth you running after. Amen? And that's the power, and that's the wonder of who Jesus is. You see, God has always been the proactive initiator of love. It makes perfect sense that if we are broken, then we are the ones who need God. God doesn't need us. If God needed us, then we should go find God. But if we need God, then he needs to come find us. Because we're the ones who are lost. We're the ones who need someone to show us the way. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. God stepped into human history because it's not above God to step down and enter into our mess. And He stepped down into human history, became one of us to show us the way, the truth, the life of living with Him, amen? And in Jesus' language, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, you know what He's actually saying? I think he's saying something like this. Craig Rochelle said this, and I, I liked it that I am the perfect fit for your soul. I'm exactly what you need. I am what you have always been looking for. In me, you will find life. In me, you will find the truth. In me, you will find the way forward. Let me ask you a strange question. Have any, who likes buying shoes? Anyone like shoe shopping here? Anyone? Okay, a few of us do. How many of you have ever bought a pair of shoes before that you wanted so bad, but they were the wrong size? Okay? And you knew they didn't fit when you bought them. But you bought them anyway because you liked how cool they looked. You liked how neat they were. So you just bought them even though they were the wrong size. Anyone ever done this before? Anyone? See, I've done that. In fact, I paid a price for doing that in Winnipeg just a few years ago. Um, I bought this pair of shoes that I know was a size too big for me, a full size. And I was like walking around and it felt like my feet were flopping all the time, right? And I literally had three falls on these shoes. And one of them was like, one of those like awkward falls. You know when you fall outside, and you just hope no one notices, and that no one's there, that you're just by yourself. You, you know, you it's a ruin to the ego, but you pick yourself up and you get walking, right? This was like outside of the front doors to like St. Patel Mall in Winnipeg, okay? This is a big mall, okay? And I am literally walking, and all of a sudden, I trip up and face first on the ground. I think I even yelled like, oh, right, as soon as I hit the ground. And I have people coming up to me being like, oh, my gosh, can we help you? And I'm like, just get away from me. It's not even COVID, right? And I don't want people bugging me at this point. And I just want to get up, you know, get yeah, put my head down, and oh, my goodness gracious. Eventually got rid of those shoes, okay? I'm going somewhere with this, I promise you, Okay. But sometimes we, we just like something so much, right? You're like Cinderella's sister trying to make a shoe fit, right? Even though it never will. And I'm going to buy these and not wear them. And I think I have to admit, I've liked a pair of shoes so much that I think I've bought them before and not been able to wear them so much like I'm telling you about right now. And I think sometimes that's how religion feels. You, bu- you buy the religion that looks that you think looks right on you, but it never fits on you. Because you were never created to step into religion. You are created for love, for relationship, for life. And when Jesus says, I'm the way, he's saying, look, I designed you to experience new hope and to move forward. And that's why no matter matter how much you accomplish in this life, no matter how much you do or acquire, your soul will still always say, I think there's something more. I think there's something more. There's more to acquire. There's more to get. You see, Jesus says, I'm the way, follow me. Because there's always meaning for your soul in me. Jesus is the life. Jesus doesn't just come to change your mind or change your beliefs, but he comes to change your existence. Because without him, you just exist. But with him, every moment of every day has meaning, has new possibilities. You won't feel most alive when you have wealth or power or influence, but you'll feel most alive when you feel most fully loved. And when you're most fully loved, even if you don't have all those other things, you'll still be fully alive in him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am what your soul has been searching for. And no one comes to the Father except through me because no one else is coming. And so some will ask, why Jesus? Well because Jesus is the why to all that your soul has ever been searching for. And I believe that with all my heart tonight. And so we can conclude today, at least I'm going to, okay? You can talk to me about it later, that all paths don't lead to God, because they're all very different paths with very different beliefs and values and practices. And to suggest they're all the same is not fair to the truth to each set of beliefs. And at worst, it's actually insulting to those who abide by them. And Jesus didn't stutter when he made the claims about his life. His claims were bold. His claims were without any need for further interpretation. And as Christians, many of us, you know, we've accepted this and we trust in him, but what does it mean for how you and I live today? You see, sometimes these strong claims can lead to fights and divisions. The history and the Crusades have unfortunately left a very unfortunate mark on church history. Are you with me? I don't remember a time Jesus ever told us to wage war in his name. And so how do we live in light of Jesus' claims? Because this is going to be the make or break here, is how we treat people, is how we treat one another. Here's a few ways I think we can make this applicable today. Number one, Christians always love people who don't love Jesus. Yes, I didn't spell that wrong. I could have wrote Christians always love people who don't know Jesus, (laughs) but I think this gets more to the point. Christians always love people who don't love Jesus. How many of you love people who love your kids? Anyone, right? You love it when people treat your kids well. You like that. I remember as a youth pastor spending time with students every now and then, and at times I'd be sitting there thinking to myself, That, you know, people would come up to me and say, well, thank you so much, you know, for for hanging out with my kid and loving on them. And I'd just be like, oh, cool. It was was fun to do. But as a parent now with two girls, I understand how important that is when people love what you love. that love your kids. Now, what about the opposite effect? Go to a minor sports game sometime, okay, where they're like cheering at a kid and like ranting at a kid. And you'll see the gloves kind of come off there when people don't love what you love, right? And when people might come against that which you love. Let's take this thought to God. Does it ever bother you when people mock or joke or seem opposed to your God? You see, human nature, I think sometimes, is for us to not like those who don't love what we love. Human nature sometimes is to create these categories of us versus them, of me versus you and we see the other as bad people anyone like us we approve of but those who aren't like us we can get angry with we can get frustrated with we can get upset with and sometimes we want to take the gloves off and start fighting about these things but did jesus ever tell us to do that in the book of matthew jesus said this he said you've heard that it was said love your neighbor and hate your enemy But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you don't love, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You see, for those of us who follow Jesus, loving others is not optional. It's not something that we get to choose to do. It's not only required if they love you or if they love your God back, but Christians always Love people, even people who don't love Jesus. Are you with me? The beauty of Christ changes our lives and it changes how we live and see people. The second point. I want us to take with us today, is if Jesus is the way, then we must be careful not to make Jesus conform to our ways. You see, this gets us into trouble. When Jesus starts to look like me and have all the same opinions I do and believe in all the things that I think are important and like all the people I like and probably even worse, hate all the people I want to hate, right? When Jesus starts to look like that, then I'm afraid it's no longer Jesus I'm following, but likely a created version of God that I've made up. Voltaire said it like this. He said, in the beginning, God created man in his own image. And man has been trying to repay the favor ever since. And I think it's true that as humans, we want God to think like us at times. We want God to like what we like and approve of what we approve of and care about what we care about. But if Jesus is the way, it's not our way and preferences that matter, but it's his. It's him who we're to follow. And so who do you say Jesus is? In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked the question, who do people say the Son of Man is? And some say he was like John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Some said a prophet. But what about you? What is your answer to that question to who Jesus is to you in your life? You see, we don't need Jesus and or Jesus plus. We need Jesus. The world needs him. And our priority needs to be to submit and follow the way, the truth, and the life. Finally, the third point if Jesus is right, then we must point people to the way, the truth, and the light. Amen? If he is right about what he said he is, then probably one of the rudest and cruelest things we could ever do to people is not tell them about Jesus. It's just to be quiet about it, it's just to keep silent and not say anything. If we believe he's the way and truth and the life, we need to share that. We need to live that. In 2 Corinthians, it says it like this. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. You know, think about how strong that is. You see, an ambassador is is a representative. When you're an ambassador for a, a country, people should be able to see what your country stands for and looks like in your words and in your conduct. And the same goes for those who follow Jesus. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Right? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I love where it says, not counting men's sins against them. Sometimes we can be good at counting sins. Sometimes we can be good at counting all the ways people missed it, all the ways people got it wrong. And what this world needs, friends, is not people counting sins, but what they need, I think, is Christians who can be counted on to love them and to care for them and to be with them. And so if Jesus is the way, then we need to be pointing people to him. To not do so is a cruel thing. In Colossians 4, we read it like this. This is the last verse I'm going to read. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You see, when the Apostle Paul spoke of outsiders, he was was referring to those who were outside of the community of faith. And he suggested there's a wise way to act towards those who don't know Jesus. And that every opportunity is worth investing in and capitalizing on. It always makes me wonder what opportunities come our way throughout the week where we could just even give that person a compliment, where we could just bless somebody, buy someone a coffee, do something that cheers somebody up. There's enough negativity in this world, right? What can we do just to make the most of every opportunity that we get with those who don't know Jesus? You see, my prayer has often been, God, help me to make the most of every opportunity you bring my way. But probably my stronger prayer is this, God, help me not to miss the opportunities that you bring my way. Help me to follow through. Help me to walk in these things. Help me to love you and love people. You see, do all paths lead to God? I don't think so. No. I'll say no (laughs) before you misquote me. But how we treat each other does. And if we follow Jesus, we follow the ways of Jesus, we live like Jesus, we represent Jesus, we are the ambassadors of Christ. And so who do you come across each week? Who makes you happy? Who ticks you off all the time? Who who do you walk the other way when you see? If there's a wise way to act towards people, then there's also an unwise way to act towards people as well. And so what are some ways you can make the most of these opportunities and let your conversation always be full of grace so that Jesus could be experienced by other people? Amen? Let me pray for us tonight. Father, I just thank you for loving us and uh, God, just for being so good to us, Lord. And we don't deserve any of it. I just thank you for it tonight, Lord. I thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And I pray, Lord God, that as that has implications for not only our destiny and our future, Lord God, it has implications for how we live today. Help us, Lord God, to follow you. Help us, Lord, to make the most of the opportunities you bring our way, God. Thank you that you love us. Thank you so much, God, that you came down to find us, Lord. Not that we had to go to you, but you came to us. And so, God, I just pray, God, tonight that you would just continue just to lead us, guide us, and direct us each day, God, as we follow the way in the truth and the life. Help us to love you and help us to love others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.